Y'all can't see this in the back, but Gary came and sat down first, and he was patting the pew for Dana to come sit next to him. And you see who moved, don't you? She did not move. Just a little observation from the pulpit, okay? I mean, <laughs> I hope that you have your Bible open. We're going to have it on the screen, but I hope that you will turn your Bible to Mark chapter 1. And we're going to begin, as it seems we do in recent years, we're going to have a series of sermons on some verses in Mark chapter 1. I want to ask you to meditate upon these verses and, um, and just let the Spirit of God just, just take these verses and, and look at your own life. And uh, most especially, I want to ask you, and, um, you know, when I stand in this pulpit, I, I am trying to be faithful to the Spirit of God as it leads me on what to preach. And I really mean that. I'm not up here to give you my opinion about something, although I do that often and I'll gladly do that. But I want you to hear what the Word of God says, and most especially the words from Jesus himself. And I think it's very important that we understand the message that Jesus is giving out here in just these uh, four verses and uh, in Mark chapter 1. So let's pray and then we'll get started, okay? Father, I thank you that we can open your word. Lord, in a world that seems to be drifting away from having any type of authoritative word from God, Lord, help us not to drift away. Help us, Lord, to know that not just because some preacher said that this book is holy, but because this is your inspired word, help us to know that the teachings and preachings within the word of God is from you. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts as believers, Lord, that we would be given assurance of our salvation. And Lord, I pray for those that have not yet trusted you as Savior, not just our children and youth, but Lord, anyone from the youngest adult to the oldest adult, that if they've never come to that point in time in their life where they ask Jesus to come into their heart and be their Savior, pray, Lord, that you would take these words that you spoke, and, Lord, you would speak to their heart, to our heart. And, Lord, I just pray that if someone is here that has not yet trusted Jesus, that another seed will be sown in their heart that will lead them one day, hopefully very soon, to repent believe the gospel, and follow Jesus. Lord, again, please, please speak in these moments ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, if, if you don't have your Bible, I encourage you to look at the screen. I want to read Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And passing along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Listen to how simple the message of Jesus was. Repent, believe the gospel, follow him. This morning, as we begin this series of sermons, I want to say a whole lot of things in introduction. 
First of all, I want to say that not only our church, but every church has many responsibilities to the people that attend, to our community, and to our world. As a pastor, I have many responsibilities to you who attend our church, to our community, and also to our world. And each leader in this church, the youth pastor, the deacons, the music committee, the secretary treasurer, the Sunday school teachers, the children's youth and adult leaders, and the admissions leaders, all of us, all of us have many responsibilities to the people that attend this church and to our community and to our world. But I believe that the greatest responsibility you and I have is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at Mark chapter 1, verse 1, and that's going to come up on the screen. Listen to how Mark begins his gospel. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, folks, we're going to talk about this verse probably next Sunday in a greater detail. But as Mark begins to write his gospel, he knows that his responsibility as a gospel writer was to share to witness to and to make plain the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And folks, you and I, as we begin to study not only this gospel, but for every gospel, that is the purpose of the gospel writers. Folks, it is the purpose of every writer within Scripture that we help people to understand who Jesus Christ is. And this morning, again, in ways of introduction of these sermons. May I share what is in my heart as we begin these messages. I know that if I do not share the gospel of Jesus with you, I have failed you miserably. I've not carried out my calling from God, and one day I'll have to give an account of this to God. Regardless of how many visits I might make or prayers that I might offer, regardless of how many hands I might shake, or sermons that I might prepare and deliver, or hours that I might put into church work, if I do not share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, I am a failure as a Christian and as a pastor. And I didn't get this verse of Scripture uh, on the list uh, on the screen because I didn't think about it until I was reading over the notes this morning. There's a very powerful verse... In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16, and let me just read this to you. 1 Corinthians 9, 16, Paul is writing, For if I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me, what he is saying, it is his heart's burden to preach the gospel. But listen to what he says in the latter part of this verse. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Folks, if we do not share the gospel of Jesus Christ as a pastor, as a church, as a leader within the church, as an everyday Christian, then we are failing our Savior. I want to ask some questions this morning of you who that are here. And again, please, please hear these as coming from my heart. Has there been a point in time in your life when you have repented of your sin, when you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin's penalty? 
And folks, I want to remind you again that there is a penalty for sin. Paul says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is what? Death. Folks, that is the outcome of sin that is not repented of and washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Has there been that point in time in your life and in my life when we repented of sin, when we trusted Christ as our Savior and made a commitment to follow Him? And folks, this goes back to the title of this series of messages, Repent, Believe in the Gospel, and Follow Me. And folks, I want to ask this question, and you've heard this before, and I am not trying to coerce you or make you a Christian, but I need to make you understand that you and I have got to make some decisions in life about our relationship with God. And that decision comes because if you and I die today or whenever that moment comes and we stand before God and Scripture says that we will, whether we believe it or not, the Word of God does not lie and whatever's contained in the Word of God will happen. But one day all of us will stand before God. Why should a holy God allow you or me into heaven. And today, I ask you in the coming weeks, do you want to know today from the words of Jesus, from the words written in Holy Scripture, and words of witness from Mark, how you can be saved? And folks, again, I want you to understand what I'm saying here. These are the words of Jesus, and the words written under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and the words of Mark as a witness of Jesus Christ. And they tell us how we can be born into the kingdom of God, how we can be saved. And folks, this morning, again, another question is this. Would you allow the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God today, to convict your heart of its sinfulness and lostness? And again, I know we're living in a world where everybody wants to feel good, but folks, I want to tell you, Jesus said we must repent and believe the gospel. You and I must come to a point in time in our life when we are convicted that we're on the wrong path. And again, we're going to get in more detail into this. Repentance means that we're, we're going in one direction and we turn and take another. And folks, you and I do not turn to Jesus as our personal Savior until we're convicted of our sinfulness and our lostness. And again, the penalty of sin is death. Not only when we breathe our last breath, but it is spiritual death too. There are many people that are living physically today, but spiritually they're dead because they're disconnected from God because of sin and lostness. And we also allow the Spirit of God to show us that Jesus is the Son of God. The Son of God who became a man in the flesh who lived on the earth, who died on a cross, and after three days was risen from the grave as he promised. He has ascended back into heaven. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and soon he's coming back again. Folks, every man, woman, and child, one day in eternity will stand before him and before the Father. Would we allow the Holy Spirit to convict our hearts of his sinfulness and lostness, to convict our heart that Jesus is the Christ, and then allow the Holy Spirit to show us how to pray and invite Jesus and our hearts? Folks, at the end of the prayer list for many, many months now, we've had a prayer 
that would give instruction on how to invite Jesus. We don't have it on there today because we're out of room on the prayer list. But for many months, we had that prayer in there. And folks, that is not a magical prayer. That is just a God to help you and I understand that as we confess our sinfulness before the Lord and believe that he is the Son of God and the Savior of the world and invite him, Jesus does not barge into our hearts. You and I can put that prayer in any way. The scripture says, call upon him and we will be saved. Again, I'm being repetitious, and I'm not trying to point out to myself, but folks, my first prayer in asking Jesus to come into my heart was this. Lord, if you're real, give me a double dose. Folks, I didn't know how it's to pray. I'd never prayed with sincerity before. But folks, as the Holy Spirit of God begins to work in our heart, he will not only lead us to understand our sinfulness and lostness, and understand that Jesus is the Messiah, but he'll also help us and guide us in inviting Jesus to come in our heart. Well, folks, this morning, why should you and I consider all of this? And in essence, why should we get serious about doing business with the Lord? Let me tell you some reasons, okay? And I want to tell you that I'm burdened, and when I say I'm burdened, that's just not preacher talk. But I'm burdened as your pastor that some come here week after week. And I'm, I'm not judging you, and, and I don't know, but this is one of my concerns. That some come here week after week after week, but Satan has tricked you and confused you to believe that salvation comes through a multiple set of ways. Let me, let me tell you some of the ways that some people think they're going to get to heaven by good works, by church membership, by being baptized in the church baptistry, by simply reading our Bible, by praying, by church attendance. Now, I want to tell you something. All of these things are good, and I want to encourage you to do all of these, to do good works, to join a local church, to be baptized by immersion, to read your Bible, to pray, and church attendance. But folks, salvation comes not through any of these. But salvation comes through the grace of God expressed through his son, Jesus Christ. And the word grace means unmerited love and forgiveness. Look again at John 14:6, which is going to be on the screen. Jesus said to him, and of course in that context he is speaking to Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now folks, listen to this. Jesus did not say that you could come to the Father because of your good works, or church membership, or being baptized, or reading your Bible, or praying, or church attendance. And again, I'm not knocking those things. How do we come to know the Lord God. It is through the Son. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but by me. And look at these next two verses, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And I'm sure that many of you had these verses underlined and highlighted in your Bible. Listen to this. By grace you have been saved through faith. Now again, look at that and listen to this. By grace, you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. Read that next phrase with me. It is the gift of God. 
Salvation is God's gift to us. And listen to verse 9. Not because of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is free. But as someone has said, it's not cheap because it costs Jesus his very own life and his blood. Folks, the point that I'm trying to make is that Satan would confuse us and place doubts in our hearts and minds or pride in our heart to make us think that we can qualify for heaven by any other means than the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is not my opinion. This is what the Word of God says. You can't get to heaven any other way except through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. And if I don't share that with you, and I'm not standing in judgment or condemnation of you, I'm simply trying to share with you the truth from the Word of God. And let me point something out. The next scriptures will be from John chapter 8. Mackenzie, I believe we got some of these out of, going up to the next one, please. I, I gave Fran some things out of place, okay? Listen to these verses in John chapter 8. And these are words of Jesus speaking himself. He had been accused of uh, being a blasphemer. He had been accused of not serving God. But listen to what he says about the devil. And he's speaking to Pharisees and other religious leaders who think they're going to get to heaven because of their good works and because of who they are. Listen to what Jesus said. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks according to his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? And go up to verse 47. He who is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Now, folks, let me point some things out. Jesus, first of all, is giving a description here of Satan or the devil. And the concept of Satan is about one who is an adversary, who is literally fighting against us. He is the tempter. He is the seducer. He is the accuser. Jesus calls him a murderer. And when you think about what Satan wants to do in my life and your life, he wants to kill us spiritually. And Jesus also calls Satan a liar. So let me point something out, and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. If Satan is a liar, then everything that he's going to try and tell you and I is going to lead us away from the God. That's his intent. And if Satan encourages us to do good works so that we are saved by good works or join the church so that we can say, I'm a church member. And you know, a lot of people, when you ask them, do you know the Lord? They'll say, I'm a member at such and such church. Now, maybe that's their way of saying, I'm a believer. And as a sign of that, I've joined a local church. But folks, again, I want you to know something. And I'm glad for every member of Theresa Baptist Church. Being a member of this church is not a ticket to heaven. The blood of Jesus Christ, believing in him, is the way that we get to heaven. We become a church member to express our faith in Jesus Christ. But Satan's a liar. 
And the end result of swallowing his lie, Satan leads people to hell. Now, I know that sounds very blunt, but folks, that's just the truth. But listen, Jesus. Jesus is the Savior. One of the most beautiful verses I feel in the latter part of the New Testament is found in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. And this is not going to be on the screen. I, I, I didn't think about this verse until this morning. But in 1 John 2, 1, 2, 2, 1, John says, My little children, I am writing this to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteousness, the righteous. An advocate is someone who stands in our place in front of someone. And folks, you know what's so beautiful about this verse? One day when we stand before God and we're allowed to, to be in the presence of holy God, we'll realize our sinfulness. But the Lord Jesus will step up and say, Father, this is one of your children because they have trusted me and they've been washed in my blood. Folks, when I get to heaven, I don't think God's going to say, well, come on in, Herbert. You, you were pastor down at Theresa Baptist Church. You did all those sermons. You did all those visits. Not going to have anything to do with it. Trusting Jesus Christ is my personal Savior. That's what's going to make the difference. I'm no better than anybody else who's ever walked on this planet. Matter of fact, there's a lot of people I'm a whole lot worse than. But Jesus is our advocate. And Jesus also is a life giver. Folks, in John 10.10, Jesus said, I came to give life and give it abundantly. And look at the next verse that's going to be on the screen, John 3.16. And I hope everybody knows this verse. Go ahead. On, there we go. Thank you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not what? Perish, but have everlasting life. You see, the difference between Satan, who is a murderer, and Jesus, who is a life giver, is so clear and plain once we begin to look at this through the eyes of Scripture. And Jesus also is the truth. Remember what we've already read in John 14:6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Everything that Satan is, Jesus is not. And everything that Jesus is, Satan is not. As Satan prepares a, a, to lead people to hell, Jesus prepares a place for us where? In heaven. John 14. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And folks, what I'm trying to point out is when you and I get serious about looking at the Word of God, the Word of God spells out so clearly the path of destruction and the path of eternal life. The path of eternal life is found in Jesus. Do not let Satan trick you or confuse you about believing salvation comes through any other means except through the blood of the Son of God that was shed on Calvary's cross. There's a second burden I have. Some people perhaps come week after week, not only to our church, but to many churches. And again, Satan seeks to trick them to think that we can't know that we're saved. And folks, please hear my heart again on this. I'm not belittling or criticizing anyone who says I have doubts. All of us have doubts. 
Every one of us at some point in time have had doubts. But folks, let me point out some ways that you can know that you're saved. And here's just a few ways, okay? First of all, the promises of Jesus. And I want to go back to John 14, 6 again. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now, Ori, help me out, okay? Go back to John chapter 10. You're going to have to go back several steps. Back to John chapter 10, verse 27. Okay, listen to this. Listen to what Jesus says. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they what? They follow me. Remember what Jesus says in Mark chapter 1? Repent, believe the gospel, follow me. Verse 28, and I give them eternal life. Now, who gives us eternal life? Do we give it ourselves? Absolutely not. It comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen to this. They shall never perish. What does that mean? I believe it means that once you get right with God, you're saved forever. And I'm not just using that just as a slogan of Southern Baptist. I'm not banking on who I am or my church membership anywhere. I'm banking on what Jesus said, that he gives us eternal life and we shall never perish and no one shall snatch us out of his hand. We got any more verses on that? We got those other two verses. Listen to this. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Folks, listen to this. You know who Satan has got to go through to get to me? He's got to go through the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's got to go through God the Father. Now let me ask you something. Is Satan stronger than Jesus or God the Father? Absolutely not. He's a defeated foe. How do we know that? Calvary's cross. That's why we've got to keep talking about the blood and about Jesus giving himself on the cross. Well, folks, first of all, we can know that we're saved through the promises of Jesus. Secondly, the promise of Scripture, the promises of Scripture. And, folks, that opens up the, the idea, can we trust Scripture? And we're going to get to that in just a second. But let me give you a couple of passages of Scripture that tell us that we can know that we're saved. Go back again to John 3.16. Uh, Mackenzie, if you don't mind, I'm sorry. Look at this. Now, what does the Word of God say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not what? Perish, but have everlasting life. Now, again, you remember what we've read out of Mark chapter 1? Repent, believe in the gospel, follow me. Well, if we repent, believe in the gospel, and follow Jesus, then what do we have? Eternal life. Folks, it is so plain and simple. But look at 1 John 5.13. 1 John 5.13. Look at this. I write this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, is John simply talking about a head knowledge? Absolutely not. He's implying that we're already experiencing this life. I'm going to sound like a smart aleck this morning when I say this next statement, and I'm not trying to be. This morning, as I was going over the notes, you know, over the years that I've done weddings, I've never had anybody that night after the wedding to call me up and say, are you sure I'm married? <laughs> now, I'm not trying to be smart aleck. 
when two people get married, they take vows, first of all, of marriage. But why are they getting married? Because they love each other. Now, there's some times when we doubt that we love each other, but we know that we're married. Why? There was a point in time in which we committed ourselves to our spouses. And, folks, I believe this is what John is trying to tell us. You and I will know when we commit ourselves to our spouse that we're married. The authority of Scripture is another thing that I want to mention, ways that we can know that we're saved. Look at these verses, 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16. Again, I encourage you, we'll give you these passages of Scripture. You can write them down. Many of you know these by heart. But we're trying to tie all this together. Repent, believe in the gospel, and follow Jesus. But what about the authority of Scripture? Can we believe what is in this book? This past week, and I wish I'd a, I, I was riding down the road so I couldn't stop and write down the statistics, but David Jeremiah was talking about how few, few people believe that the Word of God is inspired anymore. Now, folks, listen. If you know the author you'll know this book is inspired. Because the more you read and study this book, the more alive it will become, and the more it will work in your heart and mind and in your life. Every generation must struggle with, with whether this is going to be authoritative for them or not. But listen to what Paul says to Timothy. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Now let me tell you something. This is one of the reasons that Satan wants us to doubt the authority of the word of God. Because this book teaches what? Jesus is the son of God, the savior of the world. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And this is the way through Jesus we get to the father. And listen to this next verse. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All scripture is inspired by God. What does it mean? That God breathed into the minds of the men and women that spoke the word of God and most especially that wrote the word of God. And folks, listen, listen to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. Because no prophecy ever came by the impulse of man, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Now, folks, listen. If this were like any other book, you and I would, would not be allowed to read from it, and it helped light our path every day. If this book were not relevant for this day, we could just throw it aside and never read it again. But folks, I want to tell you, because the word of God is alive, it breathes in our minds and hearts how we should live each day. I'll never forget one of the great preachers that I heard. His name was Carl Bates. He was pastor at the, at, at, as I remember, at the First Baptist Church in Charlotte. But one Sunday he came and spoke at our church. And, and I'm trying to remember this. This is not in the notes, but... But his life was in the pits. He was very successful as a businessman, and he was on a business trip. But he was ready to take his life. And he was in a hotel room one night, and, and he was just ready to end it all. He had no joy, no happiness, no purpose in his life 
And there was a Gideon's Bible on the nightstand beside his bed. And he picked up the Bible and began to read. And he read about a Savior. And he asked that Savior to come into his heart and life. And his life was changed forever and ever. Folks, we need to hear warning in our day. We must not turn away from the Word of God. This is the Word of God. And the authority for what we teach and preach is based in the teachings of this book. And folks, I'm, I'm about to run out of time. But look, here's some things I want to share about the authority of the Word of God. You and I can believe that Jesus is the Son of God and Savior of the world. You and I can believe that the Bible is from God and it is His Word. You and I can believe that God's Holy Spirit inspired and moved upon the writers. And folks, if we believe all these things, then why do we doubt our salvation? Why do we doubt God the Father and Jesus' Son and the Holy Spirit? And folks, the Word of God tells us that they do not lie, and anything they tell us is truth. And again, I want you to understand, salvation is not based on what we think or what the preacher says or what the church group says or the denomination says. It is not about being politically correct. Salvation is not based on our feelings, but our salvation is secure because of the indisputable, infallible, Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God and promises of Jesus, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let me give you two more reasons. Well, there's many more that I I don't want to rush through these things, okay? So let me stop at this point, okay? And we'll get started on this again next Sunday. Now look, we hadn't got back to Mark yet, have we? (laughs) And I know that. Here's what I'm trying to build up to. Jesus says, repent, turn around. Turn back to God. Turn from sin. Turn to God. Believe in the gospel. What is the gospel? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus came. He died on a cross. He was buried on the third day. He rose again. And Jesus says, follow me. Folks, we're going to get into that, but we've got to push. We've got to get through all of this first to set up what's going on here. Mark It is thought that Mark's gospel was one of the first gospels that were recorded. People thought that Jesus was going to come back real soon, so a lot of stuff was passed on by mouth. But then they began to see that the return of the Lord was going to be delayed, so the Spirit of God began to lead these people to record these things. And here's what I'm leading up to. Can Can we truly trust Mark that he's going to tell us the truth? I believe we can. It's not based on who Mark is, but it's based on who Jesus Christ is. And folks, that's the bottom line. Can you trust Jesus? You can. And if you'll trust him as your personal Savior, he'll come into your heart and make you a new person. He'll free you not only from the penalty of sin, which is spiritual death and hell, but he'll free you from the chains of sin itself and he'll replace your fear and your hopelessness with peace 
and joy. He will take you off the road to hell and prepare a place for you in heaven. And it will all happen because he left heaven, came to this earth, shed his blood on the cross, cross, was buried, and rose again. And thank God he's coming again. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I just pray that you'll speak through your word. I pray, Lord, that we will bear witness to your son, knowing that none of us can save anyone here. We can't even save ourselves. But knowing that Jesus can and will if we call upon him. So I pray, Father, in the coming weeks as we study this passage of Scripture and as we hear your son say, repent, believe the gospel, and follow me. I pray, Father, that if there be any here that do not know your Savior, that they make that decision. Father, even this morning, if you are dealing with hearts, and Lord, today is the day that you want a person to profess faith in you, I just pray that they would come. I just pray, Father, that you'd use the preaching of the gospel to lead people unto you. Have your way and your will in these moments of invitation. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hand this morning is I Surrender All, number 433. As the Spirit of God leads you to profess faith in Christ, would you come? Let us stand.